my aim here is this is somewhat ambitious but fuck it no one ever made a good show aiming for the middle is to make this as good as the sex in video games episode wow <laughs> yeah episode 197 dated friday the 1st of april 2011 those we have left behind this week we're looking at deaths in games that have had a profound effect on us. Moments that have given us reflection and emotional engagement that often transcend the medium in a way that film, TV, theatre and literature are to date far more practised and accomplished at. We're looking at deaths that stay with us. Joining us is digital lecturer and Pixar employee, Mr. Daniel Floyd. Hello, Dan. Hey there. Now this show is going to be very spoiler heavy, so we would like you yeah. to consult your show notes. We'll be handling these games chronologically so that the statute of limitations diminishes as we move forwards. To make it easy for you guys to skip the sections that may involve us talking about games that you have yet to complete and have a definite wish to, there are time codes in the notes that will tell you which minute to jump to. Each section will be bookended by music, so there'll be plenty of time to make sure you're in the right place. Now, to start with, I'm just going to list the games, so all you know is that somebody dies in them. It covers a total timeline of 13 years of video gaming, but I won't say who dies until we get to that section. Okay, so we've got 1997's Final Fantasy VII, 2001's Silent Hill 2, 2004's Metal Gear Solid 3, 2007's Bioshock, 2007's Call of Duty 4, 2008's Gears of War 2, 2010's Limbo, 2010's Halo Reach, and 2010's Red Dead Redemption. Okay, at the end of the show, we'll be taking a quick look at a couple of other games that involve death as well, and could be discussed in that way. So we'll, again, give you a heads up to what games are going to be discussed there, and again, consult your notes. I don't want anybody to feel like we've spoiled any games as a result of this, but the problem is, you can never really talk about these games without going spoiler warning and not being sure if people are going to be able to listen. So I'm worried that I might have things spoiled for me. At this, in this one, so we've got to be we've got to be careful with each other. Um, we'll give you guys fair warning, and they'll be listed in the notes. In every instance, we must ask ourselves: one, why this affected us so much; two, was it more powerful than it might have been if delivered in another medium, and how does it affect our memories of the game? Okay, so let's start off here, and let's play some music. 1997, Final Fantasy VII.
Okay, now this is one of the most famous deaths in video mm-hmm. games, so I don't think anyone's going to be going, I can't believe you've told us it was this, but Aerith Gainsborough, or Aerith, depending on the pronunciation, I think the Japanese pronounce it Aerith, don't they? It's going back and forth. Yeah, it's Aerith. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, Tony, I'm not sure if you've actually played all the way through Final Fantasy VII, have you? I have played the scene, and obviously I've rewatched it on uh, YouTube to refresh myself, but it's been a long time. I mean, that's the... 97, so 13... Three generations ago. Yeah, that's a long, long time ago. Uh, and Daniel? Oh, yeah, uh, this is... Uh, I played it, I forget when I played it, but uh, yeah, I played it. Uh, I played the game numerous times. Okay. Right, well, there are several reasons why this one was so impactful for so many people. One was that it was unexpected. You don't expect this sort of thing to happen mm-hmm. in the middle of a game, because I think you were just at the beginning of disc... Yeah, it's the end of disc one, and this kind of event, uh, it sort of end, concludes the first disc, and uh, then you yeah. swap this and start the No, you're absolutely bit. right. So, yeah, you, you certainly weren't expecting that kind of thing to suddenly happen. And also, the, the game had lulled you into a full sense of security, because you'd fought alongside Aeris for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours, and you'd begun to depend on her as your primary healer. So, to disrupt your party like that and the way you fight, mm-hmm. as well as the storyline, was just totally out of the blue. And you'd also, you know, depending on how you played, begun to get really attached to the character. I think, as I recall, when I first played, she was a little bit girly for me, and I was far more into Tifa. And, and she still is in comparison, but at the same time, there is not a single part of me that is happy to see her go. She certainly has the legacy now, that's for sure. Yeah. Everyone remembers their heiress moment in mm-hmm. video games. It was kind of like... I'm going to uh, equate another death later on in this show to the time Kennedy was shot. Everyone remembers where they were when they were playing Final Fantasy VII and went, oh my God, at this point. And it's the time when, when uh, games just sort of jumped up a notch and, and said, no, we can deliver this to you. Because this is the essence of what we're going to talk about today. Death is part of life, absolutely part of life. And it is one of the most important parts of our life. It's one of our driving fears. If you take away the fear of death, in humanity, you've got a totally different society. If you told everyone tomorrow that they could choose when they died or just that they were never going to die, that would change the way people behave. We're obsessed with it to different degrees. Well, and I'd, I'd also argue that games as well, they deal with death more than any other medium, but they deal with death in the way that it's just throwaway death. Yep. You, you just kill it's somebody. It's cheap, yeah. and it is repeated over and over again, and it's just a way of dealing with your mistakes. Where, in almost every, in 99% of gameplay, it's just like dead, 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 luckily you've got to continue. Well, I think what will make this conversation interesting is the fact that obviously most games revolve around killing. It's, that is just a fact. Yeah. Um, and killing or just how, even jumping on their heads like Mario. How you separate a, a character's death away from all those people that you, you know, particularly murdered to come to this point where suddenly areas actually makes that much more impactful than just the you know the crust by that time probably the hundreds or thousands of people you've slaughtered yes yeah, and that's another thing the, the cutscenes were few and far between in that game and, they, and they, they made sure that there was a proper dramatic moment in that and interestingly enough if you remember you have to fight a Genova uh, character after the death but before the resolution so the music doesn't cut to the usual battle music it carries on with this sad requiem and and you're, you're, you're just, you know, you're still doing your lightning and summon attacks, but it's just really unsettling to play through, and you're, and you're trying to deal with your grief, but at the same time battle on. It's a really great way of, of forcing you to come to terms with game uh, with, with game events whilst also handling game mechanics. I, I agree. I'm wondering what you guys think, because 
this wasn't the first time a main character died in a video game. Not even the first uh, time there was like kind of a big, supposed to be like emotional kind of like death scene in a even in a Final Fantasy series. Mm. So, but this is the one that everybody remembers, and I'm curious as to why you guys think. It is. I, I think for me, it's, it's because of the technological leap that Final Fantasy VII was on the mm. PlayStation. You know, it, I, I don't want to just say graphics bring it that much more impactful, but you, you are correct. Obviously, there's been a number of deaths before this. Mm. But this, I, it's, it's funny to look at Final Fantasy VII now, and, and when you rewatch the, the kind of the rendered uh, cutscenes that were happening then, and they're all kind of blurry and pixelated, and back then they were crystal clear in my mind. Yeah. Um, and you I think can count the polygons now. Yeah, now you can really see the artifacting coming through. Um, and I think that does have some something to play into it, where you're actually seeing, you know, a, a, as much as she is kind of a woodeny acting character, she was a lot more lifelike than what we had previously experienced, you know, outside of maybe PC gaming. Yeah. Another thing is that she's absolutely innocent. She doesn't mm-hmm. wish to harm anybody. None of her powers to, to put a point towards harm. She does not deserve to die, and she has the, the world's best interests at heart, and she's trying to save, and just gets dispatched cruelly, almost just just to get a rise out of Cloud from Sephiroth. Yeah. Totally. And it just seems so unfair when absolutely. it happens. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, that I think you could understand why people would fight, fight through the rest of the game going, there's got to be a way to bring her back. There's got to be a way. And just unable to deal with their own grief, much like Cloud. Yeah. I think this is the one of the uh, deaths on this list that we have here that probably had the strongest uh, lasting impact on me. And um, I feel like there are several reasons why that this death really works. One of them is that, like you said, it's really sudden and unexpected, and you it's a player character, one you've kind of gotten attached to, and it's only like less than halfway through the game. Mm. Part of it, I think, is also that oh, well, it's not... I mean, it is unexpected. It's not telegraphed. You'd, you'd see it. What happens before is she wanders off on her own to go and try to do something you don't even know what. And this is a character that up until now you kind of protect a lot. Like, you're mm. saving her from the Turks. You're helping her run. Oh, Shinra got her. Oh, we got to go save her from this. We have to... It's, even in battle, if you've got protect material on, you'll be jumping in the way of every attack. Totally. I mean, she supports you, but she's a character that you spend a lot of time protecting, and then yeah. suddenly she goes off on her own and in a dangerous area. And, I mean, for me personally, I was kind of just sort of feeling that tension of, all right, got to go find her. This is, like, wor- just kind of that worry, protective sort of feeling. And then you get there, and you find her, and she's, oh, she's okay. <laughs> Thank goodness. And you start wandering, and you try to get closer and closer, and then, I think, honestly, what makes this death work the most for me, and it's not something that I realized even until sometime this year, is in so many JRPGs and just a lot of just kind of cliché sort of stories, yeah. there are so there are long, drawn-out death scenes. There is mm. someone is the mortal blow. Someone dies in the arms. Dies of, in the arms uh, and yeah. has, a lo- has lots of time to say... To, At least to I got to hold goodbye. you one last time. Yeah, to say goodbye and uh, you have to believe, or just some sort of cliched long line. They get to have, have a nice... to live on and fight. Yeah. yeah, you get this nice closure before it even happens. You see it coming. In this case, you get there and... I die. She <laughs> just like is snuffed out like a candle right in front of you, and there's no death scene. She's gone by the time you even get to her. There's no time to accept it. There's no time to be prepared for it. It's just suddenly there. And I just and in doing a little research, found out that that's exactly what the director was aiming for. Mm. Uh, there was a quote he said that, uh, I mean, death comes suddenly and there's no notion of good or bad. It just leaves. It doesn't leave a dramatic feeling, but a great emptiness when you lose yeah. somebody you love very much. There's just big empty space there. And he says that the fact that so many fans were shocked and even offended by her sudden death probably means that he did it right. <laughs> yeah. And Which is, I think that's why. 
it's kind of funny because they've kind of drifted away from that now, haven't they? Final Fantasy, yeah. this series, it's, it's all very telegraphed and all very fist pumpy, is, is what we know. Totally. No one's died in a Final Fantasy game that I've cared about that much since then. I mean, oh, that, the closest one, just to quickly talk about, is something like Lost Odyssey, actually. Um, ah, yes. Yeah, when it, it, yeah. No, obviously the, the main characters in their calm and uh, Sarah, they're, um, they're immortals. So mm. they're interiority of their life. They, they've been dealing with death, but only now have their memories are starting to come back to them. So they, they start to experience death for almost like the first time. Mm. Uh, and there's, I mean, we're in spoiler warning territory anyway, but... You know, a key character dies yes. and takes a long time about it, but that's a very yeah. dramatic. And um, without realising it, it's someone very close to the main um, character that you're playing. And it's that, that as well, I think that was a really impactful moment. That's when, one of the things when a lot of people say, well, you know, it's just a Final Fantasy knockoff. And yeah, it is. But also of the good Final Fantasies back when they were kind of portraying that stuff. Even I think Final Fantasy X had some uh, moments, certainly with Yuna kind of uh, facing her her fate in, in life. Mm. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's slightly offside chat. I know, but you're you're right about uh, Lost Odyssey. Some of the best moments regarding death in that. It did the, the whole game appears to be uh, the, the whole story for Kaim appears to be dealing with the death of other people. All of those little stories that yeah. uh, you you get to read, the the, the little vignettes almost all entirely deal with loss. Yes, and, and certainly when you consider the whole game deals with immortality, and obviously in, a, in our life we think, well, the one thing we'd like is immortality because we want to live forever. And the game portrays so well, that's fantastic to a degree, but imagine losing your loved ones over and over and over again. Mm. Would you be then scared to ever love again if once you know, the fifth person you've ever dared to love has, has died, and he's been around for thousands and thousands of years? So it brings that almost to the, the forefront of the, the main storyline of the game. See also Highlander. Mm, yeah, very, yeah. Dan. I'm still just impressed that this, I mean, I watched, watched the scene again just in preparation for this, and it still works. I mean, it's, it's ten polygons and a matte painting. <laughs> but it's, but it's still a really, a, a combination of just the, uh, character you're attached to, the music, everything else. It still makes for a really emotional sequence. Well, with the music, I think they'd, they'd done that refrain repeatedly throughout the uh, the game whenever Eris is around, but yeah. never to that huge orchestral, uh, even though it's only composed on keyboards, never to that scale, and it's just it's overwhelming. And who is it? Who kills her again? Is it Se- Sephiroth? Sephiroth. Yep. It makes you hate. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. So much. Totally. You just want to take that smug smile off his face, which doesn't have any smiles because <laughs> they couldn't get the polygons for it. Well, no, and, and if you consider how like Final Fantasy thirteen, yeah, pans out after you've got this protagonist who's you know, oh, I'm going to rule the world, and you know, ah, oh, but and it just you never you never really gained a hatred to him at all because it's just this annoying guy that you're trying to track down, rather than okay, you physically upset me now. Yeah. Okay. Should we move on to the next one? Yeah. Sure. Okay. 2001 Silent Hill 2.
so Dan, you haven't actually played this, have you? I did. I, I played it about a year ago. So, oh, uh, you did play it. Okay. Yeah, but I, I, it was the one that was least that was least fresh <laughs> in my mind, though. So I had to go back and uh, I appreciate you giving me that video to watch again. Yeah, everybody, if you haven't played Silent Hill 2 and I just uh, had no particular interest in it, go to YouTube and look for Silent Hill 2 the movie. It's in three parts and it's very professionally put together. It's machinima and they've cobbled all of the important cutscenes, a little bit of the gameplay and some fan-made music into a really professional movie that tells you the whole story. I, I showed it to Sharon uh, after she'd played some of Silent Hill 1 and gotten very frustrated with being killed unfairly and said, look, you can simply watch Silent Hill as a, uh, a film in this way and it actually is really effective now the, yeah the character that dies in this that many people die in Silent Hill but specifically the character that motivates you in Silent Hill 2 is your wife uh, Mary Shepard Sunderland a little background on this one Mary is the former wife of your character James Sunderland uh, she apparently died some time before Silent Hill 2 begins and you start off at the beginning after having received a mysterious letter from her inviting you back to Silent Hill to your special place and you spend the whole game looking for her now you meet various characters along the way including Maria who seems to be a, 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 a hypersensualized version of Mary there are various different interpretations of these characters, but my favourites involve the uh, the idea that these are all aspects of James's subconscious. It makes Silent Hill 2 so much more interesting if you don't actually take them as just real people who've stumbled into Silent Hill and are trying to deal with their own shit. Uh, for example, the character of Eddie, uh, who appears to be guilt-ridden and at the same time loathing over the, uh, the fact that he's killed somebody, could just be the ugliness inside James over uh, feeling repulsed at himself over killing. And just he, he sees himself as this sort of grotesque, vomiting fat man with the mind of a child and a similar dress sense, you know, waving a gun around with no respect for life. Um, and the, the character of Maria it could simply be another version of Mary that he is trying to replace this vision of his ailing sick wife with, with someone a lot more, with a lot more vitality and spark uh, and, and mystery to her. And, and, and he feels guilt-ridden over that. And Maria gets killed as well twice in the game by Pyramid Head, who's been referred to repeatedly as a physical manifestation of James's sexual aggression. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, this is just so much more complex and interesting than most other video games, if you start looking at it. And Silent Hill 2, of the first four games, is one of the only ones where, if you walk away with James and everything's okay, Silent Hill itself doesn't seem like an evil place but a place where you confront the darkness within you and have to deal with the shit that you've done in your life to actually be able to, to come through on the other side and to deal with the demons. And in a lot of cases, you can't deal with them, and it, it destroys you. Now, with Mary, as it transpires, when she got into the later stages of her illness, she became not herself anymore, and her mind started to go, and she began to decay, which filled uh, James with revulsion. And while he was desperately pitiful towards her, he also began to hate her. And she uh, at once begged for death, but was afraid to die, leaving him in a terrible, terrible position. What he did was smother her with a pillow. And the whole of Silent Hill 2 is him coming to terms with this terrible, terrible thing he's done. And eventually, if you can get through it, she forgives him, slash, he forgives himself. It's not something you'd really be able to deal with in a very straightforward way in video games. Being able to masquerade it as, as horror or psychological horror is a great way of dealing with it with a, with a loftier and uh, a much more intimidating subject. 
It's interesting because she, because Mary herself actually has little to no presence in the game itself. And we yeah. don't actually get to know her pretty much at all, but her death basically is what sets the entire game in motion and the entire game is kind of, is about dealing with it. Is the entire game is about her death, which you really may not come to realize until a good, most of the way into, till toward the end of playing it. Mm. Uh, another thing that uh, I noticed while I was uh, watching it for this most recent time, uh, at some point in the early stages of the game, James comes across uh, a bloody corpse sitting watching the TV in a green jacket with mottled yellow hair. Um, and he's un- it's unrecognizable, this corpse. And later on, it's sat in front of a TV with blood on the screen and static playing. And later on, you find the same body in exactly the same position around, and then you end up watching a videotape showing you what happened when James killed his wife. It is feasible that James, while sat in total, absolute depression in front of the TV late at night, blew his head off and died in a chair, Mm -hmm. and his mind went to Silent Hill to deal with this. And that when he walks away, he's walking into the afterlife, or or whatever you want to interpret, where your Mm -hmm. mind goes after you die. But again, I mean, in terms of dealing with death, this is the key game, as far as, as well, the the key first game that really dealt with it. And it is something that Silent Hill has has done ever since. All the games yeah. are based around uh, the memories of somebody entering, even it right up. I mean, Homecoming was that, uh, you know, hmm. a, a soldier, wasn't it at that point? Yeah. Um, you know, spoiler territory, I guess again. But um, and even uh, the Shattered Memories on on the Wii, there's an absolutely fantastic resolution to the end of that game. And one you don't see coming at all. So, uh, and once again, that's all to do with psychological memories. But uh, uh, death certainly plays. Yeah, actually, you know, death is a major part in, in Shattered Memories as well, as well as um, Homecoming. I mean, I find myself unlike a lot of these other uh, character deaths here. I don't find myself like directly moved by her death. I mean, her goodbye letter to James, especially toward the end, is a very sad, emotional moment. But mm-hmm. I guess the sadness for me isn't so much. Had really, doesn't really have to do so much with the person who wrote the letter as for who it's for and kind of a yeah. every, for everything. Well, we spent a lot more time with him, and yeah. ultimately, it, everything about this adventure it could merely be at, merely could be aspects of him. Well, and not only that though, the, the whole adventure is set in a pretty horrifying world. So mm. a, a, your preconceptions of entering in this game is that you're going to be shocked by stuff, and I think death is is. Just one of those things. They do it in a, in a, obviously a unique and interesting way for sure. But, uh, I think your, your mindset is already set up where something like, you know, t- talking previously at Final Fantasy, that death there is, is out of the blue. You, you're not really playing that for that to happen. Mm. Although, you know, the, the uniqueness of, uh, Silent Hill 2 <laughs> brings it far beyond the most kind of horror sections of games. So the next one, 2004, Metal Gear Solid 3, Snake Eater.
Okay, now there's many people die in this game, uh, and several of their deaths are actually really quite moving. Um, even, I mean, most of the bosses that you face, that they seem insane, but in in the way that you lamented all the previous bosses in Resident in Metal Gear Solid games like uh, Fortune and Psycho Mantis and uh, Sniper Wolf, that they're, they're trying to kill you, they're soldiers, they're prepared to die, but that doesn't mean that there's not something achingly sad about the fact that they, when they finally do cash their last check. Uh, Interestingly enough, the, the Cobras in this, all of the bosses, when they die, they explode as well, which almost is, is, is kind of a way of um, Kojima saying, look, don't get too sad yet, don't save it for the end, because... <laughs> When you finally kill the boss, that's when the gloves are off and, and he, he shows you how it, it's actually what the whole thing has been about. Now, to understand why the boss's death is the most powerful death in video games for me, you have to actually look at the plot of Metal Gear Solid 3. In this game, this military force have taken control of a nuclear-powered Metal Gear called the Shagohod, and they're threatening various countries with it, and Russia uh, uh, are terrified of them and America are terrified of them. And the boss is an American sleeper agent who has been sent in to infiltrate the unit and put a stop to them. They detonate a nuclear weapon on Russian soil, causing the deaths of thousands, and it's an atrocity that needs a scapegoat. So what the boss and the CIA hatch is a plan to basically tarnish her reputation as an agent and label her as a defector, and make her culpable for this explosion. And Snake is sent in to assassinate her as a reprisal. So by the end of the game, you who have been unaware that the boss has actually been hatching this plan with the CIA, have to take her on, and when you finally defeat her, which is what she's been waiting for, you have to pull the trigger on her. They, they make you stand with a gun to her head. But then when you find out at the very, very end, through Eva's debriefing, what this whole thing was about, you realise that... She will be seen as a monster to Russia and America. Her name will go down in history as a war criminal. And that the fact that she was actually doing it for her country and the fact that she has allowed this to be pinned on her to prevent a war between both sides makes her the absolute height of a patriot. Which, for someone who has a certain, shall we say, bad relationship with the nature of patriotism, really gets to me. I mean, I've sung this game's praises on you guys' show before, and uh, it's still probably uh, on this list. It's next to, uh, along with Air, is probably the, the other death that uh, has the strongest impact on me on each time. And I think it's a large part of its impact comes from the fact that it is inside a game, and the interactivity, just a little bit of interactivity, uh, goes a long way. Like, I think the really brilliant thing about this whole ending in the character's death is that Kojima makes you feel what Snake is feeling at most every stage that comes along. Mm. Like, by the final confrontation, you've, we've kind of adopted a little bit of Snake's attachment feelings towards her. Like, he's, it's kind of the bitterness, and you're angry that she's defected and that she's joined your enemies, but you still, you still kind of sense what Snake likes about her. And yet she's beaten the shit out of you at every point that you've There's a certain level of respect, isn't there, from him? Yeah. But yeah, she's your totally. teacher, your, your mentor, your, mm -hmm. your guide, the person you trusted and the person that you believe had the right idea on things and you Absolutely. can't believe is, is doing something wrong. Right. And by the, by the time the, you get to the final confrontation with her, I mean, you, you don't want to have to fight her at that point and Snake doesn't want to either, but he doesn't have a choice. We don't have a choice. And she does not go easy on you at all <laughs> on that fight either. That's a hard fight. 
And when you finally do defeat her, it's still kind of hard to feel happy about it. I mean, stands over her and they have a... To set the scene, hang on, hang on. To set the scene, it's in a field full of blossom. (laughs) And it's absolutely one of the most arresting images in video games. I can't believe the PS2 pulled that off, still looking at it. Just that field of flowers, the way they move and everything is awesome. But, yeah, so they exchange the last few words. Snake stands over her and he raises his gun to finish her. And then the camera cuts to an overhead view uh, just in this sea of flowers is just gorgeous and her laying there and nothing happens and you wait for a few seconds for him to shoot until you finally realize that the game is waiting for you to do it that you have to pull the trigger button to actually Mm. finish her and i mean you don't want to do it and snake doesn't want to do it but you can't continue the game and he can't complete his mission until you do and i mean that would have been an emotional scene already It it was already sad but then suddenly making you do it makes it so much harder and makes it so much more heartbreaking and then it only gets worse in the ending when like you said, we find out why she, what she was actually doing, and what she was that 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 she was actually sacrificing life and honor, playing the villain just at the request of her country, and it suddenly just gets all the more heartbreaking. And by the time you get to this, the very end, the final shot of the kind of tear rolling down Snake's cheek, it's re- you're going to be hard pressed not to tear up yourself. Yeah, it's in the, the boardroom of the uh, White House when he's uh, shaking hands reluctantly with President Johnson and J. Edgar Hoover uh, moves in as well. The idea being that they've they've finally found the perfect combination of an agent and a soldier, someone that they can rely on, someone that they can use as a tool for America's interests at this point. But if you look in his eye, because he only has one left now, he is scarred for life. Jack is a He's not broken, but he's hardened, and he has changed from from how he started off. He started off somewhat cocky, but a little bit nihilistic, but now he actually has something to believe in, and he believes in what the boss was fighting for, and he's deferred the honor of Big Boss. And what they've actually done is created someone who will end up being a great threat to America, because his ideas of how a country should be run do not run parallel with the American governments at that point. Going slightly off I mean it's still we're keeping within Metal Gear Solid um, and it's easy to bring up Metal Gear Solid 4 at this point yeah. um, for the parallels and once again spoilers because we're jumping around in time periods again but uh, if you don't know what happens at, four, at the end of 4 then listen out for a second but the fact that Snake didn't pull the trigger there because I I'd still truly believe that if he would be on this goddamn he, list. He would be he on has. this list and he would be proud on this list if that trigger pulled and, and listening back to that story and having seen that you, something had to happen that made Kojima not do that. That had to be intervention from Capcom somewhere along the line because Konami or Sony. Yeah, okay. Um, because they didn't bottle it in free. Um, and although it wasn't the main, you know, the main character being killed, it wasn't Snake that, or mm. yeah, himself. It was still a major player within that, and it, it takes so, a lot to end a character's life. I. How many characters can you think of that just ended? I mean, I because I mean that's that's what we're talking about, and maybe this is a conversation after we've done these specific games. So if, yeah, yeah, it's talking about these these games at the towards the end, whether we want to get into the reasons why maybe companies aren't so quick to pull the trigger as such, or whether we can keep it within contents of just singular titles. I'll it's it's the point when commerce suddenly takes precedence over art, and it really bugs me. Because I know that was what was happening well, do, in Metal Gear Solid. Do we want to say that at the end? Kojima, no. Okay. Okay. I want to say it now because um, because it, it pulls in so closely with Metal Gear Solid. Kojima had 
every reason to let Snake die. Yep. And it was actually not even at that point later in the game with, with the pulling the, the, the trigger on himself. It was after the microwave corridor. That was his moment. He needed to get through, and you needed to pound that button, and then uh, maybe he could fight Ocelot, but then that was it. That he should die right there at the end of that mission. He should not be able to walk away from that. And he would have made this list, and that game would yeah. be that much more impactful. And it would have really left people going, wow. But like I said, it was versus it was commerce versus art, and commerce fucking won. Yeah, you really do get the sense watching it that that's what he wanted to do. Yeah. In, in looking at it. Because Snake is beyond his last legs. He's on his last legs at the beginning of the game. He is crawling on his hands and knees through a microwave tunnel being assaulted by radiation. Yeah. That would kill anybody. I, I also think it goes beyond that. I, you, you look at Snake himself in that scene standing over the grave. He wants to pull the trigger. It, it's, he doesn't want to go off to a desert island. I, I never really got that once I saw that, how, oh yeah, we're fine, he's going to go off and have a happy retirement. That's not Snake. He, he'd served his country. He'd done stuff that he didn't particularly want to do. He'd seen some stuff he particularly hadn't want to see. And he wanted to just say, okay, enough is enough, pull the trigger. And I, it just, it almost ruins that entirety mm. of that game. Just because Not even that. It's not only that. It's the fact that Big Boss, Jack, shows up and says, you thought I was dead. I'm not dead. Oh, now I'm dead. Fox died. And then he dies yeah. messily and horribly for 34 minutes. And you just sit there with your head on your hands going, seriously, you had better have a point to this. And there isn't one. Apart from, hey, hey, it's all been a colossal joke. Just like Raiden. So, See you later. Thank you, folks. I'll be here all week. So, so to bring it back for a second to Metal um, Gear Solid 3, one of the things we didn't actually talk about is how all the people that you killed in the game actually come back and you have to fight for them all once again, isn't it? Or you have to parts their, yeah. their ghosts or their corpses. Uh, oh, when you fight the Sorrow, uh, the Sorrow is, uh, I think, the second to last boss. Mm -hmm. You get the choice when you're uh, going through Metal Gear Solid to just disable people or to take them out quietly or to just sneak by them. You have the choice whether or not to kill. You can mm -hmm. get through and only kill the bosses. So when you finally get to the Sorrow, he delves into your mind, much like Psycho Mantis, and you crawl through a river in monochrome with a storm going on in the background, and every single person that you killed shambles towards you like a zombie uh, nursing the wounds that you inflicted upon them. If you've shot a man in the testicles, he will be clutching his testicles. Which sounds funny, but it's horrible when they're just mm -hmm. sort of lurching out of the darkness towards you and you just think to yourself, all of these lives I've ended. But as, and, and that's what my, my point I was making earlier, how games, as though I think they can be that much more impactful because you are the one physically pulling the trigger rather than a passive mm -hmm. experience seeing it happen on screen. The, the, the journey nine times out of ten to get there is that you, you become this mass murderer that you wouldn't respect anyway in any other version of media. If you saw that happening in the films, although we do that, you know, action films are, are, you know, do that quite a bit, but I, I, I just love the way that it took that idea and dealt with it and just said, look, these are the people you, that you have actually murdered in this, although it's mm. a, a sign of you know, war, understandable why they were there, whatnot, but... I, that, the image of them stumbling towards you is, is superb. And knowing that you didn't have to as well is, uh, is extremely effective. And when you get to the very end, as it turns out, I believe the Sorrow was killed many years earlier by the boss. So you're effectively battling with a ghost.
it's rare that you meet a, a female character or just a character in general who is absolutely as hard as nails but absolutely self-sacrificing and manages to incorporate the I think you've mentioned this repeatedly in your lectures uh, Daniel the whole the pain of being a mother and the dilemma the boss right there she gave yeah. up her child she had it rent from her there is a giant snake-like stitch up her belly she was sewn up after it after it and she had to give up that side of her life and yet she's held it with her secretly somewhere very very far down Absolutely. It's not really until you get to the end and it's in that, that final standoff and the talk and everything that you start to see beneath that hardened nature. You start to actually see the woman underneath this legendary soldier. And mm -hmm. and even later on, it's not until after she's gone and it's in the final cut scenes that you realize how truly incredible a character she is at the very end when it's already over. And that's just what keeps making it all the more heartbreaking it takes a strong person to die for their country and to be remembered for that but to actually die for your country and to be reviled mm -hmm. is something else entirely that I don't think many people have the strength for agreed I'm not sure I could do it to, to do it for, for the greater good of everybody else and know that everybody will curse your name it is a complete sacrifice in that regard it's any, at least any other you, you die for your country you're going to be remembered as that hero in this case you're not even going to get that it's just sacrificing literally everything so yeah when Jack salutes at the grave I uh, yeah I can barely hold it together usually Let's have some music and move on to uh, 2007, Bioshock. When you started this game, the, it was almost certain in your head when you, when you begin this that you're going to end up tangling with Andrew Ryan and one of you is not going to be walking away from it. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure anybody really predicted quite how it would actually happen. I'm sure people did predict it, but no one that I spoke to. The 
watching it again as, as, a, as a simple video watching somebody play it earlier today this this feeling that you're merely observing what's going on it, there's a sense of being really removed from it and I don't remember quite so much I think I was annoyed by the fact that I felt like a puppet the whole time <laughs> you've been set up and manipulated through various different um, psychological control techniques which are kindly to assassinate Andrew Ryan and to tear down uh, the various different uh, figureheads in Rapture to allow uh, Fontaine to take control and I felt Furious um, when I uh, played the game, you know, justifiably so, with the character, not with the game, uh, that that I'd been just been able to be played like that so easily. And when you kill Ryan, he hands you the golf club and says that you've been manipulated, and, and repeats over and over again: a man chooses, a slave obeys. He wants you to prove these techniques wrong. He wants you to prove that you're a man and that you are not going to obey. He orders you to obey. He orders you to kill him, and you do. And he fights through it. It's it's not just a quick death. You beat this man to death. It takes a minute or so with a golf club, and he is in severe pain, and it's really upsetting. And you want, at every point when you're actually playing it, to disobey. You don't want to uh, attack him. And yet, I think no matter what you do, if you press up on the joypad, he, you, you start raising the golf club. If you press A, you bring it down. There's nothing you can do to avoid this. You aren't choosing. And all it's saying to you at every moment of this is you are a slave. You are doing what we're telling you. It's a nice vertical slice of the whole metaphor of being a slave to the society that uh, Andrew Ryan has, has been trying to uh, escape from. The idea that he has come down to Rapture bringing all of these high and mighty ideals and said, right, we will put all of these in place and everything will work much, much better than it has up on the surface. And everything goes not not just as badly, but it falls apart and all of his dreams burn up in front of him. And he can't let that idea go. He could just easily shoot you in the head. But he says, no, you know what? I, you are going to be the thing that proves uh, proves me right. And he dies for it as a result. To me, actually, it it is the fall of Ratchet. I mean, Andrew Ryan, that was a, a very impactful scene. But I, I think now having to have him played uh, Bioshock 2 and Minerva's Den, um, all equally, I think it has good storylines in here. To me, it's it's the entirety of the fall of Rapture, um, a society where it's people's ideals and dreams all laced so, down in this yeah. place. You know, and, and you know they've taken the, the proactive step to get away from uh, a repressed society where you know these things are being held down to and and bring everything to the surface you know although it's it's hidden down deep below mm-hmm. and for it all to spectacularly backfire on them um you know the whole fall of that that's not just not just that an underwater city an ideal you know <laughs> it it's it's so impactful and Andrew Ryan is just one of those people and I've said this multiple times Andrew Ryan is just one of the cogs in there and that's where I think there's so many stories to be told from uh, Rapture itself um, and you're, you're, you're here three or four of those through the, the course of um, Bioshock 2 and a further one in Minerva's Den and each, from, each of them is equally as powerful I think because it's people's dreams and ideals that are being shattered uh, even if it, even if it's not just them physically dying. Dan? I feel like there's a little extra weight even to his, though, just given the fact that he's the guy who birthed this place mm-hmm. and enabled everybody else here, all these other stories to exist. And I, the more times I play this game, the more I like Andrew Ryan. There's just something, even as a kind of a villain-type guy and a, guy and a guy with a very kind of skewed perspective of the world, that it's something really admirable about a character who 
is, is that That's idealistic and that, yeah. commi- and that committed to his ideals to the point where, like, to fault under- almost. Though. <laughs> yeah, to a fault even. It, and there's the kind of the interpretation I've read that I actually kind of like like about this death scene is that we have here a man who has spent his entire life striving to do things his way and for the freedom to do things his way. And it's kind of fitting that he basically takes his own life by the end. Like he's still controlling his fate at the end. Mm -hmm. He basically kills himself. He chooses and you obey. And like, even as you kill him, he still proves he's better than you. And that's in his, in his way, in in, in his, uh, worldview. And Uh, I I still, I still think that's a really cool way of looking at it. Yeah, no, that's that's yeah, that's better than what I said. No, I mean, I like it. I think you can read it both ways, though, because I mean, there is still still like a father son thing going on. There's uh, there's lo- there's lots of different ways you could interpret the scene, but even regardless of interpretations, it's still one hell of a death scene. I mean, just like the like just the staging performance, and along with the twist and everything else, it's really very very memorable. Just as a death scene, like even if the interactivity of, of and the nature of the twist make it exceptionally memorable as a game, but I think even just watching it performed like uh, this sort of thing performed in a film would be a really... uh, It'd be something that I think actors would be all over. (laughs) It's just a shame that then the end of Bioshock, the final cutscene, is so bad. The final fight is horrendous. Big blue electric man. (laughs) (laughs) Stab him with the syringe. Oh, God damn. Nice. Oh, well. Although the final cutscene where you return back to the surface uh, the little sister's there yeah, yeah. and you, you then yeah. see your life play out back on the surface I think that's actually still quite impactful but yeah, yeah the end of Ryan death scene it, it, I guess what makes the entirety of that franchise by the end but it's interesting you say it's like the father-son relationship and because in Bioshock 2 there's there's kind of like a daughter uh, mother well no there's like uh, oh, mother, yeah yeah there it's a cross between all of them there's a there's a daughter-mother relationship and there's also a father-daughter relationship as well that spans through that uh that game so i hadn't really thought about the first one being a father-son so hmm. need to play it I again love- <laughs> <laughs> i love this franchise i can't wait for the next one. Oh, yeah. yes. i think i've said this before but uh now that i've watched that rev rants thing i really wish i really hope that bioshock infinite is more than just killing people because I think we're really all of these intricate ideas deserve to be, you know, more than just an awesome version of uh, Quake. There's one thing that actually unites Bioshock, Metal Gear Solid 3, and Final Fantasy 7. You're being manipulated. Oh. If you remember, Cloud almost kills Ares himself. He is being controlled by Sephiroth. Because because he shares genes in common with him. But by that point of the game, Cloud is seriously beginning to doubt himself because he's wondering if he even he he, you know, he he's this sort of you know genetic cutoff of Sephiroth and he's this imposter and he this is before you find out more about Cloud. But um, the idea that you could actually have, have uh, hurt Eris yourself scary. They don't go into it because Sephiroth does it for you because you actually manage to resist. In Metal Gear Solid 3, while you're not being directly mind-controlled, you were manipulated into killing the boss. That's what she wanted. And in Bioshock, obviously, you're definitely being yeah. manipulated, which you might say cheapens it somewhat because it is not a choice in any case for you to kill those people. As it's specifically with the Andrew Ryan thing. You're, you know, he's saying a man chooses a slave obeys, and it's just saying to you over and over again, no, no, you are going to kill this guy because it's in the narrative. Maybe if you actually had the possibility of deciding whether he lived or died, that might actually be even more impactful. Well, the, certainly those choices have been given to you in stuff like Mass Effect. I mean, the yeah, choice to, yeah. to kill 
was it the Krogan race? Yeah, with the genophage. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't want to say that's any less impactful because you, know, you can make that choice if mm. you do actually decide to go that route. I mean, it's, it, it, it is certainly, you know, it does, it does pull on their whole heartstrings. I mean, I, I don't know because I never went down that route. I decided to, to not follow that, that quest line, but I'd imagine if I did, that it can't just be that, you know, if, if the choice is taken away from you, that's why it's like, I do that, you know, I, I would have gone on this route, how dare you? Another one in Mass Effect 2 is actually, I think you mentioned this one, Dan, the, you have to choose whether or not to press a button that will make every yeah, guest yeah. either mm-hmm. agree with you or die. Yeah. So <laughs> you, you're basically, you're, you can allow everyone who disagrees with you to carry on living and probably try to kill you, or you can switch the way they think and make them think like you with a computer program. Which would eliminate any notion of individual and independent thought. Which yeah. might as well, they might as well be dead themselves anyway. Yeah. The choices, yeah. If you're changing the way people feel and, and believe, forcing them, then it, it, you know, may as well not be belief at all. You may as well just kill them. That's one of Mass Effect 2's better moments. Yeah. It's one of the moments you, you, you agonize over. I think in the end, I just said, you know what, fuck it, survive, bring it on. Mm. Because I just felt it was more honourable. I don't like the idea at all of forcing anybody to believe anything. It, that, that's also got me thinking about. Um, ooh, it, this will be a spoiler. Actually, I can't say the Dragon Age spoiler probably because you're in the middle of playing it, Alex. Oh hell's no! Although I have <laughs> talked about it previously on the podcast about the magic choice, uh, the situation of you. Know, yeah, <laughs> because it's fresh in your mind. You're playing it now. I can't go down that route. Is that with the uh, young lad? Yeah. Yeah, I've not. I've been. Tr- I've been trying the very long, protracted route of going into the fade and sorting that shit out. So we can cover it then. I still haven't got to the end of it, but yeah, if you want, you can. You can cover that. Yeah. So, so the choice is. I mean, there's this lad inside Possessed the fade. Child. Yes. Do you kill him to destroy the demon, or do you sacrifice his mother? Sacrifice his mother. Uh, well, the mother wants to be sacrificed for her son's life. Yeah, to, to allow uh, so, to. so your choice is obviously to you know kill the mum and, and the boy survives, or to or, kill the boy. Or do you just leave the demon in him? Well, yeah. To, um, to wreak havoc upon the world. Yeah, or do you bring the boy back and you know uh, and then find that he doesn't have a mother? You know, that's a pretty, it, it's a no-win situation there. Although there is a third strand that which I didn't know at the time, which you, uh, I think you can save them both, can't you? I'm yeah, trying uh, myself. Yeah. Do not spoil it for me. But I've gone to the Circle of Mages to see if there's a way to actually bring this thing out of him. But I, I remember that being a, a you know a particular choice where I sat there for a good ten minutes, just not knowing which way to go. Once again, taken out of my hands. It, it, it wasn't a choice I really wanted to make, but it was a situation I had to resolve. It was part of the game. Um, and you know, once again, you see, we are talking about choices that aren't necessarily of your doing. But maybe there is something into that. So 2007, Call of Duty 4, Modern Warfare.
Okay, there's there's two major important deaths in this. Um, uh, there's uh, Yasser al-Fulani, who is the uh, dictator at the beginning, and it's it seems kind of like shock tactics, but a really good way to shell, sell the world on Infinity Ward's part. You, at the very beginning, you are in the head of a deposed dictator being driven through the streets of the uh, place that he presides over, and it, it sells you the world. And then you get to the very end of the ride, you get taken to the middle of a courtyard, and then a man, most likely a political enemy, takes a gun and shoots you in the head. And you experience that as the player, and you can't do anything about it. I think you can move your head left yeah, and right, you can, yeah. but that's it. Uh, and it's, it's really quite distressing. But then later on, uh, as Sergeant Paul Jackson, you, you're just playing in-game, and you're doing the usual thing of you know rescuing uh, people and getting tactical nukes and getting from through the invisible line and then making sure that the guys stop coming out of their spawn doors. And, uh, and you know, you're flying over the uh, the city, and a, a nuclear explosion goes off, and you go, oh, shit, let's escape from that. And uh, you don't. The helicopter goes down, and you crawl from the wreckage. This is the moment that it was like the uh, Kennedy situation, that everybody playing Call of Duty suddenly sat up and took notice and thought, you know what, I'm going to keep playing Call of Duty games because this shit might happen again. Um, because... You crawl from the wreckage, and you're able to see a nuclear explosion going off in the distance, and your screen is, is, is hazy and bloody, and you're crawling along, and you think, Christ, how am I going to get out of this? And you don't. P- Sergeant Paul Jackson drops into the sand and dies within a minute. And you realize that, and it zooms out and says KIA, and you, you, you just... He was one of the guys you were playing. And then you zoom in on your SAS guy and go, right, that, that side of the storyline is done. Moving on. And it's just like Eris' death. Totally unexpected. You don't, you don't believe that someone that you could be playing with would be killed middle of the game. You could, you could believe it at the end of the game, but not in the middle. It also does happen at the end of the game as well. Yeah. As uh, two of your buddies get shot pretty much in the head. Yeah. Um, I think yeah, you do rescue, you do manage to save yourself at the end, but not without seeing your two comrades have uh, been killed right in front of your eyes. I think was it Ghost? Uh, it was in the second one, wasn't he? Um, no, Gaz. That's it. Yeah. I think Gaz gets killed in the first game, and there were a lot of people who speculated that Gaz might be Ghost in the second in Modern Warfare 2, and then Ghost gets shot and set on fire. <laughs> and uh, in fact, yeah, I mean that the same shit happens in uh, Modern Warfare 2. You get set on fire. And it's, it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. And uh, I'm not sure that uh, the Call of Duty games can ever do that to us again and have us be surprised, because it's now becoming a thing that happens. It is impressive just what a shift to first-person view can do to a scene, because mm. I don't think most of these would have been nearly as uh, kind of impacting if they yeah. if we just watch them from the if third you watch person. them passively like a film that's that's where the medium comes into its own because you are used to being able to do shit to prevent this happening yeah and you feel totally helpless because all you can do is move your head as the ho- most horrible things happen to you okay so uh, 2008 Gears of War 2 
Now, this one, I'd actually forgotten how impactful it was. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll just put it down as a footnote in the list. But then I watched the uh, YouTube video of it earlier today, and it made me and my wife cry. Uh, because out of context, it's actually more effective. In context, you've been fighting and shooting Locust for and chainsawing six, yeah. him in the face yep. for six or seven hours. And you've been trying to get to uh, Dominic, your partner's wife, Maria, and uh, because I think she has a tracker beacon on her and she's been uh, put in... Now, I, I said to Sharon that what captured or held prisoner by the Locust does not do justice to what they've done to her. Well, uh, Rounded up into the death camps of is probably the best way of putting it. And, and also to set the picture as well, and a lot of people I think will probably scoff and laugh that we're, we're adding this into the list, but... <laughs> Gears of War. But, but, and, so. and exactly, you know, how can, you know, and a lot was taken in the mick out of Clippy, Clippy B wanting to, to add a scene like this, and, and for such a dumb game having a, a pivotal point like this, but what you know of Dominic's wife, and what you've seen of her throughout both uh, games is this solitary picture that he keeps with him at all times. And this is a pretty lady with yeah. dark black hair, long. Yeah. The the normal kind of pretty, you know, wife you would expect any of these characters portraying within the film, uh, within the game. Yet what you see when you rescue her? Well, for a start, they track her uh, beacon to a pod, which opens. And this lady you've seen in the photographs um, staggers out, out. Yeah. And, and, and walks towards him and he embraces her and, and he's just relieved that she's there. And then the scene ever so slightly shifts and Marcus comes up behind him and just says very quietly, Don, and the woman that you've grown used to has become a grey disheveled, shrunken, holocaust victim, living corpse with no light of understanding in her eyes. She appears blind and totally unaware. Unaware. There appears to be nothing left in her and yet she's still she's still his wife. And the sadness comes from just watching Dom come to terms with this over the course of a couple of minutes and I say come to terms with just trying to work out what to do. He says to Marcus, I don't know what to do. He is a soldier. He kills things. That's all he does. He doesn't know what to do at this point. It is so effective, and I'm amazed that it came out of Gears of War 2. And, and also, the brevity of the situation is they don't have time for him just to take her with. I mean, they, that was the plan originally, is to, to take Maria and then somehow escape this situation. But the, the frame that she is in here... That, that isn't going to happen. And he's given about two minutes to make a choice. And that choice is to kill her. Which, I mean, no person can ever imagine. It even actually plays into a lot of what you previously talked about Gonzo films, about how to deal with, like, the zombie apocalypse. Because, I mean, that's what we're saying is, you know, a person, this is their stature, this is the person you know. But that isn't them anymore. This is just their frame. This is just their, a, a body that is being possessed by something else, not the person you once loved. And, you know, that's, that's, a, like I said, I can't believe one, it came out of Gears of War 2. And so many people scoffed at it just because it was within that. And, you know, I remember being at the time, it's quite an impactful scene. Yeah. I was, I was surprised that, uh, when this got added to the list late because it, uh, because I hadn't remembered it being that impacting at all. And then I went back and I watched the, uh, you sent me the link and I watched the scene. Mm-hmm. And I see now what you were, uh, I see now why you included it. I, I still feel like it's a shame that it was in this particular game because <laughs> yeah. it's not really because when you it is bookended on either side by 
five hours of Chainsaw, Chainsaw in the face. Gears in the face. It, it's, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and like kind of a, I'll cry when I'm done killing kind of machismo. It's, uh. Or, yeah, from the studio that bought you dick shots, bullets. Exactly. Dick tits, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's really hard to it's kind of hard to take it seriously when you're coming from that frame of mind and then go right back into it afterwards. It, it's only really when you view it on its own that you actually see that wow, that actually was a really nice, well put together scene and uh, very emotional. So uh, I, I can kind of understand why people scoff at it because it's really hard to get into the right frame of mind for that scene coming mm. from Gears of War gameplay. So I guess that but, this might be a case where the gameplay, it being the game, actually kind of hurts. hurts it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think I there's the scene before that is where you're actually cutting yourself out the belly of a beast. Yeah. yeah. yeah a giant <laughs> colossal worm. Also, it brings to mind, it's a very unpleasant scene. If you've seen the sixth Harry Potter film, uh, there's uh, creatures in there called Inferi, uh, who, when you read them in the, uh, uh, the, the book, might just come off like zombies on screen if handled uh, badly. They're just sort of disheveled human corpses. Mm-hmm. But when they came to designing them, they wanted you to feel when you saw these things. And so they actually took reference shots of uh, victims of famine and holocaust. And what absolute extreme duress and hunger does to the human body and you become stick thin the skin hangs on your bones like this gray sheet and that just they are the your skin around your face retracts and your eyes bulge and your teeth blacken and this your your neck can barely hold your head up and it is the saddest possible image in all humanity and somehow they managed to get it into Gears of War 2, and somehow they managed to not make it seem crass. And and also, by Dom killing her, I mean, that's basically he's saving her. You know, there is nothing left of her. And the the kindest thing (laughs) he can do, which is horrendous when you really take that maybe out of context of where it is, Mm. is to end her life. Um, And when you consider how far you've come to save her, I mean, it wasn't even part of their original mission. They really shouldn't be where they are, but... um, Dominic, no, who is it? It's Marcus is is basically doing his friend a favour uh, by going where they're going, completely yeah. off mission. Um, so I th- I think the only thing that really was lacking from the game was a moment where uh, Dom went absolutely insane and started like like if they'd destroyed a berserker and then Dom just not let up and just start hacking and hacking and hacking at it and having to be pulled back by Marcus, you know, just and told he's got to get a hold of himself because. This has to have affected him. And uh, well, the early screenshots we've seen a free free storyline. He's growing a big beard and he looks very, very <laughs> depressed. But we shall see, I guess, revisit it. Okay. So moving on to oh no, we can't move on to brighter things. We're talking about death. <laughs> Twenty ten, Limbo. Now, I can't actually explain what happens in Limbo because it's open to interpretation. No one can. <laughs> no one can. However, when I watch the uh, video, if you um, watch all the way through to the end of the credits, there is a, a scene 
that is the mirror of the last moment before the credits, only it's somehow twisted. What happens at the end of Limbo is you get blown through a wall, and you uh, after hours and hours of hours of wandering in the dark through horrible industrial clanking machinery that's all designed to kill you horribly. For seemingly no reason, you walk up a, a, a grassy hill, still in the dark, but there's a, just a tiny pinprick of light at the top and just this little cascade of light coming down when you finally get to it. And there's a girl on the hill picking flowers. Again, a shadow girl. And the boy looks at her. End credits. And you just have to interpret that. Now, I interpreted that as that's his sister. Somehow, they're both dead. That's his sister. And he has simply been wandering in limbo trying to find her soul so that they, he can escort her to a more a happier afterlife. And what might compound that is that the uh, vision at the end, uh, the end after that is um, the same scene, but the ladder that was actually le- uh, leading up into the light is broken, and there are flies buzzing around two dark patches on the hill, which may be corpses. Somehow, it appears like these children have died out in the woods, the country, somewhere in the dark, in the wet, with the flies, and it's it's been up to the boy to actually get them out. Again, entirely open to interpretation, there's not a word spoken in that game, or written. <laughs> uh, can anybody explain it better? Combine answer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I'm going to need another few playthroughs of this game before I can even come up with a like half-assed explanation for what happens, and even then it would still be pulling stuff out of nowhere because it, it's so left open to interpretation that it's almost really impossible to try to nail down anything specific. Yeah, I mean, because the problem is as you play through that game, obviously you, you come across other kids that are trying to kill you, but it would seem like they're only playing. Mm. Um, although, you know, playing with your death. So who are they? And what are they stuck in limbo? Is this where they're just going to be staying? Did they die on that same hill? It's... I mean, that's, that's what makes the game personally so great, is because I love games that are basically just interpretation. Um, you know, there isn't a word spoken. You can gauge what you want from that story as much as you want, or just say, well, it's a platform game, um, which some people did and, and really didn't see what the fuss was about. But that final scene is you jump off it's kind of like the top ledge and you smash through the window, mm. and it's all bright and light. Yeah, I, I think your interpretation is about where I finished up was. Okay, so let's move on. 2010, Halo Reach. Now, this 
could apply to your entire Noble team. The, I think the, the only one that I would say isn't, should not be on this list is Cat. If slowly your team gets picked off and, uh, and, and specific, uh, sacrifice themselves. Cat uh, took a sniper shot in the face. Yeah. Um, Cat should have had her shields up. Yeah, that you, that shields are up automatically. <laughs> that, no, no, this, seriously, this is, this is a game mechanic that, that runs through the entirety of the Halo series. You get shot once with a sniper rifle shot in, on any difficulty in Halo, Tony. Could you confirm this? It goes, do, 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 and you dive for cover. If you get shot in the head, well, 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 you've got full shields. You don't get shot in the head and just drop. I'm trying to think of some of the jackals snipers I've had on legendary, but as even a general, on legendary, on a general, one yes. shot in the head cannot and will not kill you, and that was a cheap fucking death for cat. Well, they were just like, oh, I don't know, someone shoots her like it's a war film or something. It's not a war film. They're Spartans. They're super soldiers with shields. You're going to have to give us more than that. Did she have a cap on at the time? It was just her face, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. In which case, yeah, super soldiers normally have their helmets on. Master Chief. So does. the shields are in the helmets. Oh right, okay. Yeah. Yes. Well, <laughs> hang on. Did she ha- ever have her helmet on? Well, that I mean, you don't see that within the cut. I don't think Cat did get... ever have her helmet on. In which case, it's her dumb fault. Either way, it's cheap. <laughs> I guess I can see they were aiming for the kind of the heiress suddenness out of nowhere. It just happened sort of thing. But no, nah, but you've, yeah, you've but already it, lost two or three of them at that point. You're like, oh, just come on. Yeah, yeah, and we kind of already know where it's going to, so it's yeah. not like it's out of nowhere. However, it is not at all pleasant to see your entire team go down. And then by the end, uh, it's just you, and you've t- taken out the Covenant Battlecruiser that would otherwise have doomed the Pillar of Autumn, and you're left alone to fight. Now, this is really interesting, because effectively it's a survival mode, that is the postscript to the game. It's the epilogue, and it takes place after the credits. And you could, if you were skillful enough, hold out for many, many minutes. Hours, even. I don't know. There's no med packs. You can't... There is... The limit is, you will get shot, and you will die. You will be overwhelmed, basically. Yeah. You're, you're given a single order, survive. And it's an order you're not going to be able to carry out. And it's the most notable death in the entire Halo series. And the irony is you don't even have a name for Noble Six. And I think that at the end of ODST, that team should have died. I think that's what they were heading towards, a giant fight finale, a last stand. Because the whole point of firefight mode is that you can't survive forever. You're just holding out as long as you can. And that should have been the, at the final moment of uh, ODST. But it almost seems like they went, no, 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 because if you guys die, then it's less impactful in uh, Halo Reach. So you guys get away on a helicopter. Nobody dies. Oh, all right, then. And it just seemed like such a sort of nothing ending to ODST. Like it was leading up to something and it just sort of ended. Um, but I, I think, frankly, a, a Wild Bunch-style last stand would have been what that team deserved. I wanted to see Nathan Fillion um, go down in flames. I, I guess because there was somewhat sub-characters, uh, uh, the ODSTs aren't, aren't the Spartans. And mm. Although I'm not saying they don't deserve the same treatment, I guess they're not... Um, as, as high regarded as, as, as Spartan Force I mean the, the interesting thing to say about Reach and a lot of people have a, a problem with that story not really making any sense um, but th- there was always that that overhanging outcome of knowing that they're all going to they, they have to die you don't know anything mm. and you don't normally get this because prequels don't normally happen within games that we have played them but it, it's an interesting scenario knowing exactly where this is, is, is going to end because you know how 3 starts off 
so you know the entirety of this team is going to go. But it doesn't make any less impactful some of the the, the scenes where self once again self sacrifice, uh, destroying battle cruisers for for instance uh, when the time you know, you need to press that button and nobody else. Very Armageddon moment. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, this uh, this was the moment the, in the Halo franchise became kind of exactly what I'd kind of always wanted from the games along the way. Just a uh, I mean, I, I think I've said this on you guys' show before too, but in the advertisements for each of these games from about three onward have shown a very kind of like emotional, very human kind of an element, a very, uh, very touching sort of story that the that the games themselves I don't see because I haven't because uh, I haven't looked into any of the uh, outside uh, expanded universe material. But uh, this was a really touching, kind of strong, powerful moment, and I was that in finishing the game, I was very impressed by. So, uh, so yeah, good on Bungie. It, it's actually funny. I mean, you you uh, you bring up the advertising campaign from Free, which they they refer to the the whole war as a realistic setting. This is what's happened, uh, and the whole diorama um, pieces. And you, you 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 have veterans that talk you know fondly about the you know the Master Chief and who he was. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, that's far better storytelling than anything that they actually did manage to do eventually in um, uh, the Halo series, which is. Is odd, and yes, maybe it's just because it's a different medium and it's a, a quicker, easier way to do it. But I would have liked to have seen the people who make that the, those Halo adverts mm. make a full movie. They really were qualified, and even with a low, a modest budget, they could have done a far better job than uh, any other video game movie but, ever made. But once again, with with Halo Reach, you're, you're given a, a rare opportunity. I think Bungie were, had a rare opportunity to actually kill the player that you're playing. Mm. Um, you know, Master Chief didn't die at the end of three. Um, you know, he, he's still on that spaceship circling, and Wait, no doubt he will. Yeah, no doubt he will make a return because you don't kill the, the cash cow. And it, that's it, it's a shame, but I and I understand why it happens. But this the situation with Reach was they could kill the player that you were playing, and in a spectacular fashion. That's why it's that's much more impactful because you have grown literally to be this guy in his skin. And then that's taken away from you. And that doesn't normally happen if they're hoping to create a series or franchise of anything that you're actually controlling. Okay, so 2010, Red Dead Redemption. Trying to press 
Now this is a uh, game that actually deals principally with death and the regret from causing death. John Marston is uh, impelled by it. He's impelled uh, to prevent the deaths of his family and he is impelled to do this penance that his task is uh, to track down every uh, member of his previous gang and kill all of them for the government uh, because of the terrible things he's done in the past. It's all about regret. And when you get to the end after having spent more time with your family than you expected, and after having been warned by your old friend that there's no room for men like them in the world anymore, and that no matter how far he runs and no matter how quietly he lives, people will always hunt him because they have to justify their paycheck. That comes true, and Marston ends up facing down a squad of uh, government soldiers who are out to kill him indiscriminately. For, for, you know, he's, he's just on his farm. He, he's, at this point, last thing he heard when he talked to the uh, the guy from the the government, the uh, I don't know if he was a Pinkerton bully boy, but it was that kind of era. Uh, they were square. He had done what they had asked him to. He was allowed to go home and live with his family, and that's not the case. There is no uh, room left in the world for John Marston, and so he sends his family on on their way, and then for them because he wants to give the government what the man that they want, so that his family can live. He walks out into the crowd and you get to have a final fantastic Butch and Sundance style Wild Bunch style last stand before you're gunned down unceremoniously and mercilessly so I mean it's it's an ending I think we were expecting but earlier I think when we started to live on the farm it was a, a case of wow I may actually have gotten away from this this is the end game I'm uh, you know I've gotten away scot-free I've, I've you know I may have um dirtied my fluffy white tail along the way but I've emerged brightly and alertly from the rabbit hole a new uh, family man and although I was kind of miserable at his farm life existence I was like no leave this miserable moaning shrewish woman and this whiny little son of yours go out on the road I wanted him to go off and be the new sheriff I wanted him to basically go right there's still a whole bunch of lawbreakers in the west I'm going to take down the last of them that's what I do um but it, it, that wasn't to be either. This is what I think is so great about Red Dead Redemption, and there's a lot to like about Red Dead Redemption, but it's one of the only games that gives a full, satisfying resolution after the climax is over. Because yeah. if this were any other game, five minutes after Dutch's death, John would have ridden off into the sunset, joined his family, lived happily ever after yeah. roll credits. Over. And But instead, we get to ride our horse home ourselves, back to his house. Like, the nice long ride home, excited to finally, it's like, we've been fighting for this the entire time. We are finally going to get home and see his family. We get to have the extended ending in which he like kind of briefly enjoys this life he's been fighting for the entire time like the peace the quiet and even like you said even the monotony of a little bit of and kind of the restlessness because mm. deep down john is still kind of like we are he's still kind of got that he's not he's, tamed no he's he's a fighter he's the kind there's of there's in fact a moment when your cattle stampede and there's train robbers uh, on the uh, horizon and you have to choose very quickly between cutting off the cattle before they run into a train or uh, taking out the train robbers and I went straight for the train robbers I went fuck them cattle this is, <laughs> this your is what I do yeah. I, I know <laughs> it's your livelihood but fuck it I don't like cows <laughs> and I stayed with the cattle but, but I mean I still felt even like with the train going by I kind of like I'm kind of yearning to oh let's get back into the action of this and it can tell John probably is too at this point you see I I had a different interpretation than that. I, oh, I really? decided, yeah, because I'm like, well, 
I'm done. This, this, the whole, the whole me playing this game was to be gone with this stuff. And I, you know, everything I was doing, I was still a pawn for everybody, you know, the, the sheriff at this point, and that life had been left behind me. Uh, so I don't, I'd, don't sully the sheriff's name. He was not a sheriff. He was a uh, okay. Jihad. But you know, I, I chose at that point that the cows were my, my livelihood. As much as it, it was boring, and every ounce of my gaming. <laughs> Well, gaming culture, whatever you want to call it, was okay. Well, let's go and sh- let's go and shoot the guns, let's kill these people. But it was that much more impactful because I was like, no, let's get the cattle back. This is my livelihood. This is where it's going. Hence, why when the ending come, it was you know maybe even more uh, dramatic because you were trying oh. to go straight. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd I chosen re- that life. And I was trying to do the same thing too because it was like, yeah, like this is what I fought for. I'm not putting that at jeopardy, but you still feel a little bit of like, oh, that would be exciting though. And you know, I mean, John's <laughs> yeah. John's probably thinking that same thing. Because I mean, it's, it's kind of in his blood, but and it's just a rare game that really gives you that time to actually enjoy the resolution and the kind of have a nice kind of third act to enjoy what you've been fighting for the entire time. And I, I think it's re- was kind of really satisfying, even though like, Alex, I know that it was like kind of grating on you, and you were really wishing you could yeah. get back. When will to this it. finish? I mean, when will it finish? <laughs> It's, it was more a case of I was really finding his son Gawley, and that is the, the final bitter aftershock of Red yeah. Dead, that um, you're survived by your son who's turned into a shit. It's like nothing you've taught him has sunk in, and he's, he's just out for, for trouble, and uh, he's just going to repeat the mistakes you made in your youth. And there is, there's redemption for you, but you can't save other people. You have to let them live their own lives, which is depressing. Because, I mean, this guy could just have been a, a, a Shades of Grey character who, you know, was rough, but at the same time ha- had something in him that made you, you feel he was worthwhile. But there's not enough story there to give us that. He, you just end I don't know if there, there's much else for you to do with that guy, but he's mean to his horse, and that much I know. Well, and, and the, yeah, any of the missions you do, they, they're actually worded, scripted differently. Yeah. So, yeah, he don't. But I mean, that's that's bypassing the actual death of his father for a second. Yeah. <laughs> Got to get back to that. No, no, yeah, sure. Off you go. <laughs> <laughs> I've described it in detail. What? what? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the the death of his father is that I, I think most people wanted that situation to come out of that barn and shoot everybody down. I just wanted to could... take out the fucking G man. I was like, you know, put one between his eyes, make it satisfactory. Uh, you, you almost think you can make it if you're fast enough. Mm. But clearly, Rockstar themselves don't want that to happen. Um, you yeah. know, the, the moral of the story is, I guess, because you can either look at it like there is no redemption um, for John Marston. You know, he, he, he's committed these acts, I guess. Um, and, well, I mean, how do you uh, analyze it? Because does does he want to die? At that point, because clearly you could, I mean, you've taken down bigger groups of people than that before. Um, but is he just walking out outside those doors to be to just be taken down at that point and say, OK, well, you know, this is my life. This is it. I, I should be killed here. Well, the way I see it is I think my guess is that he sees that this is really the only way that it can end. I mean, he has done everything he can to try and redeem himself and earn a nice, quiet family life. But this even now, when he thought he had it, it's still his old life still catches back up to him, and it's going mm-hmm. to keep coming come back. If he he can outrun it now and today, but it's going to catch up to him again tomorrow. And this is basically his chance to he can give his wife and kid a head start running, and he can just basically end it here and give them a chance to escape and, it. So yeah, I guess he might. And and that's the way that I 
I think it, it played out in my mind, but then it's, it's strange that they still give you the option to take one or two of them down with you by pulling out your gun. How much more impactful would it have been if he just opened the door and walked out? Hmm. Or, no, giving you the choice to just not shoot anybody. I mean, assuming you can... Can you? I assume so, yeah. I guess. We don't, don't pull the trigger, but doesn't it? As soon as the doors opens, it kind of it goes into slow-mo clearly. Mm, or bullet time. Yeah. Well, you, the old instincts kick in, you think, might be able to get out of this one, if I'm quick enough. Because, it, face it, you've faced down yeah. <laughs> groups just that size in the past and survived. Barely, but you've survived. There's a, there's a certain amount of acceptance of going, you know what? You're, you know, you're absolutely right, you guys. He, he knows that he can't run from this anymore. It's just, it's choking, isn't it? <laughs> for all, I mean, for all the, the faults I think that game has still within some of its gameplay, uh, sections and techniques, um, being kind of too similar to Grand Theft Auto. Drive us here in the stagecoach. Oh no, banditos! <laughs> <laughs> I think most of its story is so far beyond what Grand, uh, Grand Theft Auto is doing. Although, I mean, not to knock Grand Theft Auto completely out, 4 had its, its moments of choices of who you should align with and who maybe you shouldn't, should or shouldn't kill. Hmm. Um, none of them anywhere near as There was not enough of a payoff for any of them, no. And also that... I don't know, it was... It's a different world. In Grand Theft Auto, you're a criminal. In this, I don't know, you're, you're, you're trying to be, to go as straight as you can. You've got government. The, the law is a lot more shades of grey in that era. It's almost fantasy. Okay. Whereas with Grand Theft Auto, there's clear delineation. You know what you shouldn't be doing, and it's most of the things you can do in Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. Killing is common practice within the Wild West around yeah. that period of time. It's, yeah. it's a hangable offence, but... At the same time, there's, you know, if there's, if there's a guy shooting at you, you're not going to sort of wait around and go, well, maybe I mean, is this self-defense or not? You're just going to plug him because it's it's a, a clear-cut case of him or me. And it's, it's also actually plays on something like the No Country old, for Old Men, mm. where it, it it talks about there is no place maybe for that culture of cowboy anymore. That yeah. uh, you know, his time, his the generation of who he is, would he really fit within this new society of industrial industry that's passing through here? Yeah. Um, it does take place very late in kind of the Wild West era, mm. so it's it, the Wild West is kind of ending at this point in the game. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's a good interpretation of it. There's also in Grand Theft Auto there is a, a measure of a rather large measure of arrogant street thug bling bling swagger which you don't get at all in Red Dead. You're a wanderer, and there is a nobility to John Marston. You, while you do do some pretty murderous things, he is nowhere near as as unpleasant as Nico ends up being you feel for Marston he's a he's clearly he is a man who has done bad things but he's not necessarily a bad man he is the Han Solo yeah yeah a darker even than Han Solo he's Han in Empire not Jedi (laughs) suffice it to say that this is probably this is the best western in gaming right now and probably oh, will God, be yes, by a country mile yeah. but, and probably will be for a long time so if anybody has Red not Dead. played it yet then I'm sorry we spoiled everything but go give it a try <laughs> your hands upon a dead man's gun and you're looking down the sides your heart is warm and the seams are torn and they've 
So let's talk about death, because my hope with this episode was that we could actually bring it in line, in parallel of quality and, and, and uh, discussion uh, in texture, uh, to the one where we talked about sex. Because, I mean, d- death is more relevant to everybody's life than sex, because it's the one thing that we're all absolutely going to experience at some point. It's, it's something that, I mean... I, I would hope that it's, it's probably less unhealthy to uh, to think constantly about sex than it is to think about death. But <laughs> it, it's a driving force in our life. And, and like I said at the very beginning, 
Uh, a world without death would be another world entirely. And I am astonished at how lightly it's been handled in games over the years. Because what we've mentioned are a fraction, a tiny wisp of the amount of games out there. And of the millions of lives that you've ever lost in a game, how few of them have you ever felt were impactful? Oh, I fell down, Mega Man starts again. Just imagine how many deaths that you have inflicted and experienced. Yeah, I think that's kind of the key thing about all this. It's for a medium that pedals death so often and to such a degree, there's so very few that actually leap out to us. I mean, even here, the list we have and all the ones that we didn't even get to compared to this is a fraction of how many people nathan drake has killed and and and, <laughs> and, he, and he's likable that's yeah. this, that, most a, wanted nathan drake we're getting to, we're getting to a kind of a weird point right now with uh games where as we're able to create more realistic settings and full out so- stories suddenly kind of the gameplay elements where like suddenly back in the day killing like a thousand soldiers or something on your way to achieve something in Doom or Quake or whatever or some, whatever you were playing. Uh, back up, it, back up. Soldiers in Quake and Doom are demons. they got yeah, red I, eyes. they go, uh, and they've got shotguns. They aren't even people. But right, I was so. exactly going to mention that. To start with, in games, you're killing demons. As games went on, you were killing more and more realistic people. You're absolutely right. It's just, and that's the thing. Like Back in, back then, we don't, have a, we don't have a problem with, even if they were killing human characters or like wildlife, like Lara Croft, or I don't know, who, whoever you want to say, it's because it's kind of like really abstract and simple graphics and everything else, simple stories, it doesn't really, you don't really join the story and the gameplay up that much. But now suddenly we've got like really fleshed out, realistic human feeling characters like a Nathan Drake, and suddenly now that, and now that we have him, suddenly killing thousands of people suddenly kind of like feels a little off now. Now it's suddenly you start kind to of, think about it. Exactly. If you stop yourself and think about it, it starts to feel a bit icky. Exactly. So, and we're kind of like hitting that weird little point right now. I think games could have... A, imagine how much more emotional impact games could have if we started really treating death a little more seriously sometimes. Mm. Not to say that not to say that like our, our fun shoot-em-ups and anything need to go away, because they really don't, because, I mean, they're fun. But it's not probably something that would be that hard for us to do. <laughs> and it's something that, especially all the more effective now, because I think a lot of these deaths in the games have been all the more effective on us uh, to us gamers because we're not used to it we're not used to a, a death we're not used to being made to feel things when, when something dies on screen yeah but it, it's it's here. now trying to get the the dots between where these deaths are because i'm sitting here thinking about well, what links all these games and scrolling down the list they're they're all everyone features shooting i you know silent hill 2 maybe not final fantasy you're using spells but there's all violence that leads up until the final death of these characters. And not one game have we talked about where somebody dies where that doesn't happen. So I don't know how else you link link between any of this without some sort of violence along the way. Cause then you if just Princess do- Peach died, it would shock the world. Be kind of hard to you know, if, if, uh, <laughs> if Mario finally grabs Bowser's tail and swings him out, out of the uh, ring and then goes for, to the uh, castle to rescue the princess and she's dead already. And it's like nothing you did could actually... Oh, it's, I'm, uh, this is ridiculous that I'm even saying it. But It's ridiculous to say this, but you're absolutely right, Tony. It's, it doesn't turn up. 
the notion of death rarely turns up in games that aren't about uh, inflicting violence, or well, at least it's in a fantastical sense. And there's an example I was just I'm thinking here. You know, we we all we kind of criticise racing games for having stories like, come like, on, I just want to do my racing. Yet, oh, sh- Im- imagine if if you were doing a, the Formula One season, and that was the season where Enter Senna died. And oh my god, you just blew my fucking mind. You know, and you're, you're linked within that race, the story's being told, you're fighting against the championship, he's always in front of you, and all of a sudden, bang. You Spins know, out. That, that is the season, uh, that, you know, he's no longer there. Imagine the, the amount of impact that comes from that, yet that's not killing people between those two points, but I, I can't, uh, action adventure games, you know, I'm thinking of some of the stuff like, um, Assassin's Creed, you know, the moments, and there's a great moment at the end of Brotherhood. Mm. Now, yes. Assassin's Creed is an interesting one because every time you get one of your marks in the first game, you stop with them and you talk to mm. them for a while, like in you Metal Gear Solid. You guide them through to the afterlife. You guide them through yeah. the requiesta in pece. Uh, and yeah, it's it would be fascinating if in in a future Assassin's Creed game, every time you kill somebody in seclusion, you nurse them through their final moments. But the, the, the problem is, them. if if you make every single death in a game impactful. Mm. One, it would take forever. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to tell you about the time I, I was on holiday and, as a child. Yeah, and, and also, I mean, if, if you can just imagine a Call of Duty for a second here where each and every person you killed, yeah. there was a sense of remorse for doing it, it, it wouldn't, wouldn't be, be fun. It but, but it be wouldn't be fun even. Yeah. Soldier simulator, because you can't think like that if you're trying to be a soldier. You can't write each one a eulogy. Hmm. It's kind of you to can, be but you are going to lose your taste for your job very quickly. It's, it'll be like the Thin Red Line, not uh, <laughs> anything by Michael Bay. <laughs> I guess there's kind of like a balance to be struck, and you have to know what you want your game to do. And I mean, obviously, if we tried to implement kind of like meaning to every death in every game, suddenly, we, yeah, we do lose a lot of fun game types. And I don't think that's something that necessarily needs to happen for the sake of making every game emotionally impacting. I think there's going to be room for both, but because we do have so many games that kind of treat death mostly kind of with sort of frivolity, it's just a faceless little bad guys who you, you don't even think of as human beings. You just you yeah we, we just don't really think of yeah. them. Yeah, they yeah. Uh, I think I'd love to see a few more games treating it treating it with a little more weight. Because I mean, as, as we've been talking about here this entire time, they leave a lasting impression, and they really make us remember a game years later and we're still talking about them i mean final fantasy 7 we're still talking about it people are still dissecting silent hill 2 it really makes for a memorable game two points i think i actually want to make one thing about what you could do within games to to maybe spice up death jesus christ um i mean got me thinking of the situation obviously what's what happened in japan recently and and all those Although that's a million, mar- well, million miles, away, like many thousands of miles away, the images that we are seeing back on our screens were you know, massively impactful. Mm. And I, I was thinking, well, what happened if you would, would do within your new, normal kind of shooting game, passing through, and then a natural disaster like that happened, and suddenly the, the situation of or the brevity of the situation that was going on far outweighs, you know, the stupid war maybe that you were fighting between a different size to actual just survival. Gravity, um, not brevity. Brevity means yeah, fast. Okay, but yeah, just completely flipping on it on its head, just changing what was actually to you, you know, pointing down the weapon and and to deal with that rather than actually you know the human sacrifices that was happening mm. instead. Um, 
And the second one is, how did they they put it off so delicately in films then? Because so many films do not deal with the the matter of uh, you know shooting people in the face and then you know dealing with these big emotional scenes of death. Um, is it just because there's there's more time to just build up characters and you don't you know because our medium is so much about the interaction of actually you know, doing something all the time. It depends on the film. A Michael Bay film, as I said, again, is going to be as much a case of, like, you know, shoot those guys over there. Oh, let's shoot these yeah, guys then, over here. Yeah, but then, yeah, that makes me think of stuff like Armageddon, where, you know, the death scene in that is kind of laughable. Mm. <laughs> Famously so, uh, Bruce Willis stood up in Cannes and said, I'm glad you find exactly, the end of the yeah. world so funny. Here's the thing. Oh, a really good film will make you feel the way about death that a really good game will make you feel. It's just that there are so few games actually tackle it. Because Most games not... are simulating commando, basically. There's just mm. faceless yeah. guys that you shoot as many as you want and you're, and you're excited and it's fun. But, yeah. Uh, it's like uh, what I just said. It's, it's hard to be a soldier if you're constantly thinking about the people you're shooting, but it's hard to make an FPS without not thinking about what you're doing. My theory is that it's possible to make a first-person game that is not a shooter where you actually have to... where people are dying all around you and you have to actually prevent yourself and your loved ones from dying as well. I think that would actually change a lot of people's uh, focus on, on, on death. If, if, if they don't actually have to eulogize everyone. But imagine if you were playing Homefront, Tony, uh, and the whole point was that you were not a soldier, but you were the woman with the baby. Yeah, I'm surprised we haven't done more with... Um the whole kind of the earthquake simulator and, and stuff like that. There, there was a kind of a phase that went through the PlayStation 2 era where they dealt with disaster sims. Mm. Um, and the, the... It just doesn't seem juicy when, when you say it, though. You know, imagine what it would be like to be in an earthquake. Mm, Call of Duty. Yeah, but, I mean, the, the, the long-rumoured and, you know, it's kind of disappeared again, but there was a, a game called I Am Alive by Ubisoft which dealt with that very situation about surviving um, once the world had kind of ended and it wasn't necessarily just about shooting it was about you know water management and um, you know managing to get out of the weather um, mm. but like you say that it doesn't particularly sound great on the back of a box it doesn't you know, it's not the thing that's going to sell a billion copies mm. Fallout didn't have to be anywhere near as combat heavy as it was sorry Fallout 3 there is no real reason why everyone you met had to, uh, out in the waste at least, aside from a couple of NPCs just doing their walking rounds, uh, had to be someone with a Mohican and a shotgun. Yeah. I mean, that was a, a, a land where everyone's scrabbling to survive. Of course there are going to be a hell of a lot of bandits, but there's also going to be a lot of regular people, and they're not all going to be in towns. And I think, ultimately, just, just because you have the capacity to kill... Maybe not everyone you meet in an action scenario should be a target. I mean, I just, this is more more about you know which way games could go, mm. but uh, just just in terms of reconciling our understanding of death through this medium, there are definite avenues that people could actually adopt and people could start going down when when it comes to designing games that'll actually give a more mature and a more impactful uh, and w- with gravitas way of looking at death. Once again, it, it comes back down to uh, let the developers have enough time to develop a story mm. rather than just a you know a situation for for the combat to to happen or the action scenes to happen. You know, the, the big action scene, you know, lots of explosions, that's great. But if there's reasons for that big action scenes to be taking place in front of you, and then um, if there's somebody in danger that you particularly care about because the stories have time to develop, 
then you know that's a completely different scene from what is just an, an explosion, another an explosion in a big action game can actually be something that you really like. Oh my god, that's happened! That car has exploded. The person I know is in that area. Are they caught up within that? Um, but I mean, that's that's happened. I know Daniel, you you talked so much about story and games and the way it, it needs to be pushed forward, and it, it is slowly happening. I mean, more time has been given, more money is being given uh, for developers to follow that route. Definitely, and I expected to see it keep happening, and I kind of expect this facet of storytelling, this portrayal of death and everything else, to progress along with that as we go. I think, I mean, there's still a lot of growth to happen, but mm-hmm. I, we're seeing it happen year after year, and it is slowly getting better, and uh, I'm excited to see it continue. Reconciling what you said, Tony, about the amount of violence in games with actual death present in them, and also what I'm saying about not necessarily being in a place where you've got to deal out violence, but to deal, deal with death in another way. Looking at Heavy Rain, and uh, interestingly, looking at what David Cage is doing next, and looking at Dragon Age and the amount of actual interaction with people that uh, is required for the bulk of that game that's not just killing things, mm-hmm. and looking at Mass Effect when it's at its best, uh, I'm going I'm to give you two words that is a niche market for the future that could become absolutely huge if they do it right, with the right kind of games. Drama game. Do that right, and that is how people can actually come to terms with death in a non-violent scenario. I'll buy it. I'll be fascinated to see it. Hmm. Put it like this. It's, it's a chick flick, but if they made Tones of Endearment the game... <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Maybe that, we'd have a few more women on our side. You, you've just got me thinking about where Heavy Rain fails, and obviously some of its story is that, but I think some of the failure is actually allowing people to die within that game. And I, I know um, David Cage was just saying, well, you know, death is a part of everyday life. But um, if you look at it more of a, a drama, sure, have a death in there somewhere, but how you interact with, you know, just... At the expense of a quick time event, though. Sure, but I'm just trying to imagine Heavy Rain being a lot more dramery than, than I mean, it, it's hard to say. But I would, it's really I would rather that deaths were actually uh, came about as a result of of the a wrong decision that you made, not as a yeah. result of not pressing A in time, as a, a result of going, do I, do I not? Oh my God, I don't know the ramifications of this. I cannot see all ends. I think this is the right decision. You make it, they die, you have to live with it. That. I- I would, I would respect. That's almost point and click adventure, but in a new, <laughs> a new skin such as Heavy Rain, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So if you'd like to talk about death, come to the DC forums and tell us about the games that you like the most. And remember to put everything that's spoiler happy in the black spoiler font because we don't want to upset anybody on this one. I've actually, uh, I wouldn't say enjoyed. I've been pretty fascinated talking about all of this stuff with you two. Thank you very much. No, thanks for having me on. I think mission accomplished regarding sex in games versus death in games. All right. And uh, I think the next one will be religion. That'll hey. be a short show. <laughs> How about politics? We get there eventually. Religion and oh, let's do religion and politics in one show because sure. both of them have only been handled in a kind of a oh these alien people do this politic thing yeah. and these alien robots worship this particular alien overlord. I am not touching that thing with a barge pole. I think politics <laughs> probably does exist more in games than you realise. Yeah, possibly. We'll see. I mean, if you, if you can actually boil it down to uh, uh, you know, some, some more basic lines of politics, then yeah. All every huge 
element of human existence is present in games. It's just that it's astonishing when you actually start digging how little of it is in the bulk of games. Okay. That is all from us this week. Daniel will return in three weeks' time as a guest on our 200th episode Spectacular, where he will be asking us questions along with Tara and Sassy, the most popular girls on the internet. He will also be back the week after in our Best of Episodes 100 through 150 show, where I personally think his first appearance on DTC, talking about, as it happens, sex in video games, (laughs) kicked off our higher quality run. Dan, please plug your work. Uh, let's see. You can go to The Escapist on Thursdays and see extra credits where we think about games too much. And uh, if you like getting in arguments with your friends about whether or not games are art, you're going to love our show. <laughs> God damn it, they are. No, They're <laughs> probably one of the most inspirational things to me at the moment. Every time I watch one, I go, right, that's a whole podcast right yeah. there. <laughs> if you've not listened to it yet, subscribe to Digital Gonzo and download the beta preview of my sci-fi podio book, codenamed Blue Sun. We will be back next week. And also, we'd like to give a warm welcome to two new UGN shows. Um, the previously, uh, a show that had previously been on UGN but took a hiatus but is now back in, in full flight. In fact, you had a hard, heard him in, on last week's show, Matt Wellington and his crew of Giles and John, I believe. Um, and the Epic Fail podcast. They are now full members of the UGN, um, been reinstated and you should check out their show because it's very, very good. And also, we have brand new members, which Mostly spawned by us spawned, and yeah, Gamerdork. Partly spawned by us. <laughs> we don't. We take no responsibility for Desmond whatsoever. Just Mr. <laughs> Master. So don't bring your complaints to us. Pure um, filth. So the IDKFA podcast. I don't know if I can anything. Indeed. Um, it's uh, a lie. Now, they do know a few yes, things. They do know a few things, and they're a good fun show. Uh, they are now full members of UGN as well. So the yeah. the ranks have expanded somewhat. These youngsters are now invading us. God. So, uh, Get yeah, off check, my lawn. Uh, check out both their podcasts if you haven't already. And to play you guys out, I've got a special song that I... To play you out... I, I, I can't even read that here. What is it? To, to play you out... Is that a word? <laughs> to play you guys out. <laughs> to, pl- to play you out. It's Sting and one of their songs. Okay, and to finish off, I've actually got a little project that I uh, put together. After listening to the Bioshock soundtrack, one of the last songs is Oh Danny Boy... And the version on Bioshock is sung by Mario Lanza. It's a song that I've always kind of liked, and I did some research, and it seems like 20, 30 people have sung this song throughout the 20th century. I use the abilities that I now have with instant access to YouTube and instant access to all kinds of uh, research and instant access to audio editing equipment, and I have strung together 20 different versions of this song into one medley. Wow. Wow. Indeed. <laughs> so I'll uh, I'll let you know on the forum who's actually singing all of these. But uh, I, I think uh, when it comes to being able to reconcile with death, this is one of the songs that actually resonates with a lot of people. So, uh, okay, this is Oh Danny Boy. Tony and I will be back next week. I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Tony Atkins. And happy trails. In order to offer a varied program, we're going to play a real old time. It's a grand old melody... London Dairy Air, better known to you perhaps as Danny Boy. Oh, Danny Boy, the pipes, the pipes that are calling. From glen to glen and down the mountain. 
The summer's gone And all the roses falling It's you, it's you must go And I, I must buy But coming back When summer's in the So 